Please note, Three Old Goalies podcast may not be suitable for goalkeepers under the age of 17. You see, the Three Old Goalies are, well, old and sometimes grumpy and might just be nibbling at the edges of Alzheimer's. So we're not always, how would you say it, filtered. So parents, have earmuffs at the ready because listener discretion is highly advised. Opinions expressed on Three Old Goalies podcasts are ours and ours alone. They're, of course, correct, but there are opinions. Three Old Goalies is a net performance adventure. Like us on Facebook at Net Performance Goalkeeper Education Co. and at Three Old Goalies on Instagram. Three Old Goalies is produced by John Boa Media. For more information, email Bose at johnboamedia.com or you can see him on Instagram at John Boa Media. Music for our shows is provided by Floodgate Operators, a bluegrass band out of Crested Butte, Colorado. For more information, go to www.floodgateoperators.com and be sure to check them out on YouTube. Okay, the legal stuff is out of the way. We have a special night tonight greg we are we are welcoming a soccer coaching legend who we have known for years well we've known before she was a soccer coaching legend uh, and i'm speaking of becky burley coach at university of florida becky how are you i'm doing good thanks for that intro i feel so special Yes, you are. You are. You've always been special. So, and and, uh, and as always, for our for our twenty seven listeners, we're joined tonight by Greg Deutsch, who is one of the other old three goal. Actually, tonight we have three old goalies because Becky, you were actually a goalie for a for a while, for a very so, brief period. Brief period. For, <laughs> so so yeah. So we got three old goalies tonight. And uh, Greg, how you doing? I am loving that we have Becky on. We, you know, when we started this EV, if you remember, yeah, one of the first people we wanted on was Becky. Um, yes. I mean, we, it just came right out of our mouths. And the dilemma was, you know, her time, right? Yep. And you know, how could we, you know, get her? And you know, she wanted to be on the show. So I am just thrilled. I don't care if there's 10 inches of snow outside my door, I'm still excited to have Becky on. I am just unbelievable. And EV, you know me. I, there's some stuff here that about Becky, which is all great. It's stuff like I forgot, and maybe you didn't even know. But we're going to get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Well, Greg, we, we, just so you know, it was 80 in Gainesville today. Gain 80. It was 80. Yes. All right. Thanks for running that. Appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the plan was the plan was Greg was to. Uh, go to the coaches convention in January, have the three old goalies on podcast row, right? Right. We had, a, we had a rope so we could lasso Becky and put her in the put her in the booth with us. But of course that didn't work. So we're reduced to to you know having her on um virtually but obviously you know that's second best but we'll take it. But um you you are correct. Everything everything that you said about to get Becky on the show immediately uh, is true, and and she's finally here. I the only the only hesitancy I have, or the only regret I have, is that that Boa, you know, our boy in space, 
is not is not he's you know he's on uh he's on sabbatical from the three old goalies and he's not here to share Becky Burley stories with us. But well, that, that uh, would have been four old goalies. That's true, <laughs> yes. But you're the guest, so 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 tonight you'll have to be the third old goalie. So but uh no it it's I mean it it truly is uh, an an honor to have you on Beck because you you've you know, you talk about a kid that, that, you know, when you were playing, we all knew you and then you decided to get into coaching and you've, you know, gone to the top of the mountain and, you know, you, in women's soccer, particularly, you've done everything there is to do. And we're, we're thrilled to have you on to share your, your stories and your experiences with our listeners. And Greg, how many listeners do we have this week? Well, it's not just about listeners. First, congratulations to us, right, EB, because we have broken over 1,500 single plays. We are now at 1,540. I think the uh, David Winter family certainly came out this week, (laughs) supported him. Uh, But who cares, right? It's all good, you know? And uh, like you said, I'm so excited to have Becky on. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, without further ado, because we got a lot to get to this, you know, I think uh, I think Becky coached at Florida where I read 26 years, Bex. Uh, yeah, I think I had 26 seasons and one year where we were just putting things together. OK, so you've been at Florida 27, but prior to that, you were at Barry Bar- College. Yes. In Georgia. And were you there four years? Five. Five years. OK. So you've been coaching Rome, Georgia. So you've been coaching 33 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. How many how many games total? I have no idea. Hey, you're supposed to know that stuff, Bex. When you're a legend, <laughs> you're supposed to know how many games you were you did. No so, idea. So uh, maybe at the end of this season you can you can tabulate all that out and figure it all out. So <laughs> that's higher math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so as we do with every show. Greg is our interviewer, and you know I will chime in, you know, uh, when when deemed necessary, as they say. But uh, Greg, I'll turn it over to you and uh, and take it away. All right. Well, uh, we covered a little bit uh, where she coached. Obviously, Barry, uh, which is B E R R Y, not B A R R Y, which was down in Florida, um, in Miami Shores. But Becky um, started in 1995 uh, at the University of Florida. Um, and Evie, she has over 500 victories in her career. Okay. Oh, I know. I know. It, it, that's incredible. 21 NCAA tournament bursts, 20 players in the uh, NWSL, SEC Coach of the Year five times, National Coach of the Year once, 14 SEC titles, 12 SEC tournament titles two College Cup appearances, and one NCAA championship in 1998, beating University of North Carolina one and nothing, which gave them their first loss in 46 games and snapped UNC's unbeaten streak at 70. Pretty amazing. They had not been shut out since 1995, and Becky had lost to UNC the year before 5-0, and the year before that 9-0. And True. it was her fourth year in existence. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. She's had uh, eight first-team All-Americans, a total of 17. Obviously, the, the one that comes to mind is uh, Abby Wambach. So, slew of pros. Uh, coaching staff, EV, you know you know everybody there. Alan Kirkup, um, uh, Vic Campbell, 
Uh, I don't know if you know Sarah Loudon. She, she's new this year. But um, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, she grew up. Everyone thinks Tarpon, but Becky grew up in Massachusetts and then came to uh, Tarpon Springs and then went to Methodist College. Becky, what made you want to go to Methodist College? I mean, <laughs> that, that, you know, you're going from the Tampa area to Fayetteville, North Carolina. Well, you know, I didn't have a lot of options, Greg. <laughs> so uh, it really came down to um, Joe Pereira, my college coach, one of my best friend and teammate and the goalkeeper on our team. And he said, if you can get those two to come, you can come too. And that was my first recruiting job. Wow. wow. <laughs> but the bad news for Joe was that both of them operator. left and he got stuck with me. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Was that your only offer or was that, I mean, uh, Roland, Roland Piva made me an offer at NC Wesleyan. What? That was you, didn't go to Long, you didn't go to NC Wesleyan? No, I thought Joe was, you know, pretty charismatic and, and two of my teammates were going. So, and I okay. think that, uh, I think Roland was just, you know, trying to compete with Joe. Okay. Not, not to say that Roland Piva is not charismatic. If anybody no, was to describe we know, Roland Piva. They would say charismatics right up there in the list. Yeah. So just yeah. So we clarify that for our 1,547 first-time listeners. Well, you know, here's an ironic point. The time that Joe watched me play to come uh, to actually recruit me was in Gainesville, Florida. It's the only other time I had been to Gainesville before I came here on the job interview. Wow. Wow. Holy cow. Okay. Wow. There's, fun, there's some fun facts here, E.B., there wow. it is. That, okay. That's, that's like that's like that's like uh, outer space stuff. <laughs> yeah, that is all right. So Becky, you were a defender, uh, not a goalkeeper, as Evie sort of alluded to at the start of the show. Um, and you made uh, you were a three time All Conference player. Um, your freshman year, your sophomore year, uh, your senior year. What happened to your junior? Year? Did you get hurt, or what? What What happened there? I'm just wondering. Well, actually, you know, it's not quite accurate that I was a defender because I think okay. I started as a forward who didn't score goals. And then Joe thought, well, maybe she could play some in the midfield and do some work. Then he was like, well, maybe not. And then he put me in the back. <laughs> and then that senior year was the goalkeeper year. But, yeah, it was um, – I think it all just prepared me for coaching. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Well, let, let, let's talk about her career in the goal. I mean, this is pretty amazing, Evie. She's eighth uh, at Methodist on the all-time season goals against average. Uh, she's fifth in career shutouts with 12. She's fourth in season shutouts because she only played goal once, 12. But ready for this, Evie? First in career fewest goals allowed was 17. Not bad. That's Not bad. bad. Well, you know who my goalkeeper coach was that prepared me for that debut? <laughs> Mm -hmm. he's on this call <laughs> <laughs> eric would you like to I share that i story? didn't prepare you for that i sort of showed you what you should do and back then you were a tall goalkeeper you were like <laughs> by you know you were a tall goalkeeper i mean you're you're a tall woman but you, back then like you know like we had ronnie we had everybody else had like you know carriers that wanted to play goal so you covered a lot more goal than people were used to you know well here's here's what really happened greg if you want the <laughs> true story so my senior year after coming off that junior year where i didn't get any accolades 
I was trying to think, how could I improve my stock? So I thought, I think Eric, Eric actually suggested, you really should be a lot better than you are on set pieces because you're tall and you can hit the ball. So oh, yeah, I traveled. I traveled with Eric to all his goalkeeper camps and I was the I was the person like serving balls in and training the goalkeepers. And at the end of every day, we would work on set pieces, offensively and defensively. I bet you I headed like 50 balls a day at least that summer. Yeah, and then um, I worked on it, worked on it. I got back to school and I was like, I am prepared to be an offensive and a defensive threat on set pieces. And then preseason came. Uh, I think it was like the third day that our goalkeeper tore her ACL. And it was about the fourth day when we found out our backup keeper was academically ineligible. And then Joe said, okay, who is dispensable on the field, tall, and knows anything about goalkeeping? And I was like, me, pick me. So, so that's what happened. Oh, my gosh. But wow. I will attribute my success and goal my senior year to um, – Eric's wardrobing from Eurosport, now soccer.com. Because if you play good, if you feel good, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. And I felt like I looked good. All right. I like, I like that. That's the inception. Now, what did you want to get into coaching or what got you into coaching? Because a year later, you're you're at Barry. I mean, you're not yes. in their city. Coach. Okay, but before we move to that Barry story, we must talk about the set piece work that I did all summer. <laughs> they came into play only once. Eric, I'm, I'm passing it on to you. Oh, okay. Methodist is playing Duke, okay? And I'm coaching at Duke. And um, if I remember correctly, Beck, you can correct me on this, but it was, it was tied, I believe, wasn't it? It was or tied. Yeah, it was tied. And was that back in sudden death times? Um, I think it was just late in the game and we had a corner. Yeah. And Joe so was like. Corner. So JP sends Becky forward. She sends him and he sends her up front because, you know, he does know that she's been working on heading the ball. Right. And, you know, Ronnie's in goal for Duke and Ronnie's a little bit shorter than Beck. And, uh, <laughs> So I'm, you know, I'm screaming from the bench, like, don't, you know, mark, mark her. And all the Duke girls are like walking around like they've never played soccer before. And, you know, well, I think you were yelling, mark the goalkeeper. And they're like, I was marking, yeah, I was yelling, mark the goalkeeper. All the Duke girls are looking around like, where's the goalkeeper? And I'm like, she's not hard to figure out. She's got a different color shirt than everybody else has. And, you know, so, so, and sure enough, the corner came in. The ball came in, Becky headed it, and I think you didn't miss it by much. Ronnie, Ronnie saved it. Ronnie saved it? Okay, <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know. So uh, that was my one header attempt in the entire season. From goal, from playing from a goalkeeper. Yes. There you go. But then after that, I did become a coach. So I, I graduated in May from Methodist, and then I um, became the head coach at Barry in June. And, and did you, when you were going through – um, when you were playing, did you always want to be a coach or did Joe have that type of impact to change your mind or did he just spearhead you? Take us through that time. No, I always wanted to be on a, I always wanted to coach because Joe was like the first full-time coach. I knew all my coaches prior to that were like someone's mom or dad that was just volunteering. 
Um, but then I saw that, you know, you could actually do coaching for a living. And so I was very intent on doing that. And my parents did not think that was a real job. So they were kind of like, uh, well, you know, maybe you could coach like on the side. So, um, then I thought, okay, well I'll major in education so that I can teach and coach. And, um, so I was kind of thinking like, what would I major in? I really wanted to major in English because I thought English teacher would be good. My dad's like, they never hire English teachers. You have to do math or science. And I'm like, well, I hate math. So then I guess I'll be a biology major. <laughs> so so that that's how I picked my major. And then um, after my first year at Barry, my parents kind of were like, oh, this is kind of cool. But they still thought it was like a little bit of a phase. And then... Um, after I started coaching there for a few years, they just, they loved it. They fell in love with it too. And, um, and when I came to Florida, they're like, Oh, I guess soccer does pay the bills. So it just became, uh, something that they really supported me in once I got past their initial objections. Wow. So no experience. What made you even go for the job at Barry? Well, that's actually a really good story because a um, couple things happened. I was working at the Duke soccer camp for girls where there are no losers, just non-winners. And um, we were like coaching there together, like every summer when I was in college. Um, and, you know, Bill Hempton was the coach then, and he sort of let us have a lot of ownership of the camp. Like we, we got to do a lot of coaching. And I met Ray Leone, who was the current coach at Barry while I was coaching there. And so when he decided to leave to go start the program at Creighton, he reached out to me and said, you know, look, our athletic director is really progressive. He really wants to hire a female. I think you've been great when I've worked with you at these camps, at least come interview. So I would never have done it because I was planning on being an assistant coach out at TCU and kind of a big shout out to Dave Rubinson, who was the coach at TCU at the time, because he said, hey, if you have this chance to be a head coach, you should do it after I had already accepted the job at TCU as an assistant. And, um, I interviewed and, you know, like, I guess, uh, they were willing to take a risk. I have, a, I have a late birthday. So I was 21, um, pretty much through most of the first season. I turned 22 halfway through the season and there were like four players on that first team that were older than me. So it was kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was it, you know, let's talk a little bit about Ray, very successful career there. Absolutely. They won the national championship yeah, before yeah, I got yeah. there. Yeah, two years before you get there, they win the uh, NAI title. Um, you get hired, and your first year, you finish runner-up. Yeah, mean, it was, but it was a really stacked team. I mean, Ray had done a great job. Um, we had so much talent on that team. And at that time, you know, there were kids on that team that could have easily played D1 because there wasn't such a, a difference between those divisions at that point. And so um, I inherited a really experienced, good team. And I thank Ray for getting my career started on a good note. <laughs> well, even better, your second year, you win it all. Um, yeah, and, you know, the, the, another big factor in that, um, the men's coach at that time was uh, Brett Simon, who went on to coach at Stanford. And he was a great mentor to me, too, as well as my athletic director, Bob Pearson, who was a soccer coach. So I think, I think it's just a really good lesson in um, who you surround yourself early with is really important. And I, I kind of fell into that myself, but I think if I was giving advice to someone, I'd, I'd think about that in a very much more intentional way. Yeah. Your, your third year, you finished third. Now the fourth year is interesting. You don't qualify. It's the first time in seven years. What's going through your mind the fifth year 
because you win it again, but it's not easy. Uh, you get into the tournament on a wild card um, berth. Um, you have all the players at your house waiting for the phone call. They call, you get in, and then you tell the story. You make the players run sprints at midnight. Well, we were waiting for the call, and um, and we were just kind of fired up. So we are like, we got to do something with this pent-up energy. We might as well do something productive. So, yeah, we all went out running that night. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I did not yeah. know that story. That's a good story. Yeah, it's a crazy story. It's a true I story. mean, did you have to make them run, or were they just out there oh, running? Oh, no. They were fired up. They were really fired up. I mean, that was a really good group because I think they just had something that they really wanted to prove. And when they when they found out that they were going to get that opportunity to prove it, um, you know, those were the days of like really big rivalries with Lynn University at the time, College of Boca Raton. Um, and, you know, it was just it was I think we had played them like three times at that point because we would played them in the districts. We had played yeah. them in the regular season and then we played them in the um national tournament so it was a really fun time it was just a very competitive league at that point and you know in addition Barry was really great because they didn't make us play a completely NAI schedule we used to play d1 schools all the time right and I think yeah. I think it was in that I think it was in the 93 year um you know we beat Virginia at Virginia and they were a very good team at that point they were in the top 10 Yes, um, you did. It, it was just, it was really fun. Like you could get, you could play teams like Duke and North Carolina. And, you know, that was not, that's not the case now. And I, there's a little bit of sadness for me about that because I think there was kind of an opportunity for players to, to really um, test themselves against the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, explain a little bit more about the final. I mean, you sort of brushed over it, but I mean, it's a three overtime Game. Oh my god! And it was so cold. It was in St. Louis. Um, it was supposed to be at the soccer park that year. It was the year they had that giant flood in St. Louis. So we ended up playing at Lindenwood on turf. It was like playing on my garage floor, and um, it was so cold. And two, like a team from Georgia and a team from Florida, are playing in this snow. Um, I mean, it was it was a crazy game. I mean, I remember at one point. Somebody on the the Lynn team, or maybe it was our team, I can't remember which was, somebody took a shot on goal. And thankfully the goalkeeper was standing like a little outside of the goal because like ice like fell down off the goal. I mean, it was, it was really brutal conditions. Um, and, you know, we kind of outlasted Lynn at that point. And um, we were happy to do that because at that point they had a bunch of like Norwegian and Danish and all these international players on their team. And we're like, they're used to this weather. We think this is miserable, but in yeah. the end, I think none of us liked the weather, but we were happy to, to leave St. Louis with a championship. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, mentioned Joe Pereiro. What impact is he having on your life as you go through the Barry journey? Um, huge. Huge. Yeah. I mean, huge. I, I think again, like to have people like that to kind of call on and get advice and, and, you know, the same with Brett Simon, the same with my athletic director who had coached also, like, you know, I, I remember just things I just didn't know, you know, and things that I had no idea of how to handle. And I could, I knew I had people that I could call and get really, really sound advice. And Joe was definitely one of them. 
Yeah. Talk a little bit more how uh, the impact he's had on your life, because, you know, as you progress into Florida, you're doing the same thing. You're calling him all the time, you know, at conventions, you know, I remember, you know, hell, two o'clock in the morning, we're sitting there, you know, on um, napkins. He's, you know, doing all these drills and things like that. Um, but he's had such a wonderful uh, impact on your life. Go into a little deeper, you know, what he really yeah. means. Well, I think the other thing about Joe that people probably don't even um, realize is like, he he's a really good connector. I mean, he's connected me to more people in soccer than probably any other single person because, you know, he played for Hank Steinbrecher. Um, you guys were teammates of his and like he, he really integrated us fully into his soccer life, into his whole life, to be fair. Um, and, you know, I think that was so helpful for me because a lot of women's coaches at this point, they don't really have interaction with the men's side of the game. And Joe made that very much a part of who we were. Like we were very integrated with the men's team at Methodist. We were very integrated with his coaching friends that were both on the men's and the women's side. And then just, you know, from a personal standpoint, um, Joe's wife, Teresa, who is an angel um, and his two daughters, like they just became like, I, I think I've, I've seen them since they were babies. I mean, I, I eat at their house multiple times when I was in college. Like I felt like I was spending a lot of time with Joe and his family and it just created a bond that's hard to duplicate in today's college world. And then not to mention that, um, you know, just as you all had the color tones, which is sort of your, um, alumni group from, from when you guys played together, that was a huge influence because we have the husbands, and you know the husbands are the women that played at Methodist, and we get together quite often. Matter of fact, we have a happy hour next week. Um, but it's uh, it's just a really great support group of women that have been you know lifelong friends for me that I never would have had had it not been for Joe. You know, kind of taking a chance on me, and and then just the influence that he had on me going forward. Yeah. Yeah. What, what an incredible person. Um, Evie, I'm sure you want to add a little bit to that. Yeah. Well, Joe was a guy that, as Becky said, he connected and he connected everybody together. Um, and, you know, Joe was, Joe was, uh, as you, you know, he was our teammate at Warren Wilson back in the day. Um, and, you know, he, I think, as I think a lot of us who played for Hank felt, um, you know, felt, the mission to help grow the game and um joe you know as becky said joe look look for that opportunity all the time and um you know he <laughs> he was he was a a very intense <laughs> he, was, yes, well, he, he coached like he played he coached like he played you know he, joe joe was the worker in midfield as a player and um you know played an emotional game and he coached the same way, you know, and, um, and he passed that on to all of his players. And, you know, as Becky became a coach, you know, as she said, she, she would bounce things off of him and get, and get advice from him. But, um, you know, hardworking teams that were, were, you know, you had to play him 90 minutes, you know, and that's the way Joe played. That's the way he coached at Methodist. That's the way Becky's teams uh, the ones that I was in, you know, the ones that I saw in Florida were, you know. Um, and I think too, like just the fact that like Joe invested in his players so much, 
like that was a huge influence on me in coaching. I think that's something that I've definitely carried forward. And I had, you know, a very clear model of that in my own life, as well as my teammates' lives. Yeah. Um, so all these universities are starting programs. Florida is starting theirs. How do you find out about it? And were you excited to have a chance to, quote unquote, go back home? Yeah, you know, it was a big boom at that, like just in those couple of years. I mean, so many schools started soccer teams at that point. And, you know, at first I thought like, maybe I just want to go to a smaller school because I'd played at Methodist, had coached at Barry, all, you know, both of those are under 2000 kids at school. And then I think of a school like Florida and it's, you know, at that time, I think like 30, 40,000 kids. And I'm like, ah, that doesn't seem like my scene, you know? And so I was kind of looking at other options like Wake Forest or even South Carolina because I knew Mark Burson from like coaching schools and things like that. But then and there was no one to know at Florida because there were no men's teams there um, for soccer. And so um, but everybody knew, I think, innately when Florida would start that they were going to be good because they're good at everything. And the Florida, you know, the state of Florida has such great talent. And so um, when they did start. I was like, well, that would be pretty cool to be a little bit closer to my parents. Um, you know, my mom was handicapped most of her adult life. So it was kind of nice to be closer. And so I had interviewed at a few other jobs and there were a couple that I had been offered a couple that I hadn't been offered, but none of them like were really like what I was looking for. But the minute I stepped on the Florida campus, like literally the day the interview started at like nine and they gave me a break, I think at noon. Um, and I called like my best friend and I'm like, I don't really need to see anymore. If they offer me this job, I want it. And so then the interview took the whole rest of the day. And then I ended up having to come back another time um, to meet Jeremy Foley, the athletic director. But I, it was just a vibe that I knew everybody was, you know, super young and energetic and ready to get after it and just full of um, just a desire to be really good. And then you saw, you know, the resources that Florida had and you're like, okay, this could be something. So it was not a hard choice. Let's put it that way. What, what was it like going from the world's largest university? People don't know that at in Rome, Georgia, because of the landscape um, to, and living in the mountains and, you know, a little bit different weather and then to Gainesville. Well, um, there's definitely more deer than people at Barry. Um, and probably the opposite of that at, in Gainesville. Um, I do remember thinking I was going to be really overwhelmed in Gainesville. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to get lost. Like every day, I'm going to have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but I, I literally, and I'm really bad with directions too, as anyone who's ever driven with me knows. So I, I just basically took a campus map and I got on my bike and I rode around like two days on a weekend. And I realized like Florida's really not that big. It's kind of like a small school inside of a big school. And in the athletic association, there were only 500 student athletes and probably less than that when I started. And, and so you kind of did know everyone like you did at Barry or you did at Methodist. 
Um, it was just a different environment, but I really loved it. I, I had no idea I would like it so much, but I'm so glad I took a chance on it because I would, I had a ton of friends that went to UF. That was kind of the school of choice from my high school. If you could get into UF, that's where you went. Um, but I was just like, I was never interested in UF as a student because I didn't have soccer. And um, I had never even been to UF until the time that I came on the interview. Oh my gosh. What, uh, you know, you said taking a chance, obviously Jeremy Foley took a chance on you. What do you remember about that interview with him the first time? Um, well, it wasn't very long cause the interview had been really long prior to that, but I had to come back to meet him. And I remember thinking like, well, this has got to be a good sign that they're bringing me back. So I think I should probably be prepared to do like you know, a little negotiating, you know, but I'm 26 and I don't even know what negotiating is at that point. And so um, Jeremy calls me in his office and he, he asks me some stuff and he's like, he's like, so um, what do you think about all this? And I'm like, I think it's, it's great. And he's like, he like kind of slides a piece of paper that's got like money stuff on it. Like, like how much I'm going to make and everything. And he's like, well, this would be more than what you made at Barry. Right. And I was like, Yep. <laughs> and he's like, welcome to the Gators. And he like sticks on his hand. And I'm like, I think I just negotiated, but I didn't really negotiate, but I'm happy. So it doesn't matter. That's great. That's, That's a great story. Wow. Were, were you surprised um, that they called you back that quick? It was because I was actually still at the Duke soccer camp. So when they called me for the interview, I was at camp and I didn't obviously bring like interview clothes to the Duke soccer camp. So I had to go out and get interview clothes. And then they called me back for a second one. And I'm like, well, I can't wear like the same thing. So then I had to go out and buy more clothes. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. Oh my gosh. What do you remember about the first year at Florida trying to get the players as far as the recruiting? Um, you know, because Back then, as you said, there's a lot of talent, but everyone else is starting to pop up programs. Yeah, I, I remember being like literally exhausted. Like, oh, wow. I remember just like, mon like the worst was the weekends because you would be hosting recruits the whole weekend and we didn't have hosts of our own team. So we were borrowing sports, other sports teams to host our players, which meant we had to spend like a lot of face time with the recruits. And I remember like on Mondays, I would think, okay. Like there's, first of all, I'm trying not to fall asleep because I'm exhausted, but then I'm thinking, um, all right, let me see, you know, what do I need to get done today? And then I would look at the list and I'd be like totally overwhelmed. And I'm like, all right, what do I need to get done by lunch? <laughs> and then I'd think, okay, what do I need to get done? Like in the next hour. And I just would have to keep narrowing it down to not get overwhelmed because it was just so much to do to put a whole program in place. Right. What uh, what do you Thank remember? You. I don't want to interrupt you, but I think we have a special guest. We do. We do. We do. Is he here? Are you there, P? Yes, I am. Oh, geez. Okay. You know this is going to happen, girls. Were your, were your ears burning? No, I just got on. So whatever we were talking about you. And whatever was said is probably good I did not hear. <laughs> What a what an ironic phone phone call. Here I am with three people. Unless Bo is on, I don't know if he's on. But he's anyway, no, Bo, Bo, is, Bo is on sabbatical. He's not here tonight. 
There we go. So now check this out. It's incredible. Yeah, it's just great to be here, to have this evening, reconnect with you guys, and and then obviously honoring Becky here with this with this little with her latest. I feel like uh, I feel like we've got like a little bridge to the past here. Holy cow! Is that true? I mean, we got it is uh, EV forty five years, Bones forty four years. Becky going on thirty six years. That's great. That's right. That that's pretty uh it's pretty stunning. So big time good to be here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. All right, Evie, you better do the introduction of who he is. I'm sorry? You better do the introduction that you always oh, yeah. okay. Well everybody knows everybody knows Joe Pereira and you've just heard Becky talking about him and and JP was was a teammate of Greg and mine at Warren Wilson, played Frank Steinbrecher uh after um uh Hank went up to Appalachian State. JP followed him, played up there, got into coaching. Um, and if anybody's responsible for Becky Burley, it would have to be Joe Pereira. So take that as you will. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be attached to that forever, Joe. All right. Okay. But uh, but you know, a, a guy a guy, as I was saying earlier, who really and truly took on the mission that Hank gave all of us as far as, as soccer and coaching and uh, would would do and still probably will do anything to grow the game. And, um, you know, when you boil down everything that we learned back in the day, you know, back, you know, right after electricity was admitted um, <laughs> that, you know, about soccer, um, JP and one of the guys who's who's helped grow the game in the United States, particularly the women's game. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Um, you know, no, no, just before we uh, before we transition out of that, I did tell them that the only reason that you recruited me was because you wanted my two teammates. True. But, uh, <laughs> but now we, we want to hear your version, Joe. The, the, my version is really, really simple. It was uh, all American, uh, all American Bank of Coaches Convention in 85. I, it was not for me. I was not there for that. No, it was not for her. But the, the person who was up there was the coach, and and she happened to be the mother of the All American goalkeeper from Toppin Springs, Florida. And uh, so we got to talk at the convention. And the next thing you know, within two weeks, I'm down there watching them play. They play in wintertime, so this was January. So sometime late January, early February, I was down there watching these guys play, particularly the the high school. The goalkeeper, which I came down for, in the meantime, Becky was a senior, and so was this other girl, Sherry Alderman. And so I went. I'm, uh, this is only my second year recruiting for, for, for Methodist. So uh, goalkeeper always, you always look for those, especially with that kind of uh, All-American status. So uh, sure enough, and, uh, and uh, the three of them, they kind of came as a package of maybe not. But I was most interested as far as really being able to help right away was I wasn't that impressed with the goalkeeper. Um, uh, be that she had the status and then she could uh, maybe comp uh, compete and, and help out. But then um, the, this other girl, Sherry, who is much more athletic, much more uh, mobile and up and down the flanks, good on the ball type stuff. So I was very excited about her. And then Becky came along as well and said, OK, all right, it's fine. It's, it's Division three. We can handle numbers and numbers is good. And that's I was, how I was a tuition child. She, she, she was, I mean, uh, long story short, she was a forward coming out of high school. She didn't last long as a forward. 
She was like an 18-wheeler up top there. I couldn't have that. And, uh, the, she could not get behind. Turn was slow. So it was one of those. Then we went to maybe in midfield, she could connect the dots and help us out there. That didn't work out. So then, okay, she was down to uh, in the back line. And back then we ran the sweeper thing and uh, sweeper's concept. And then she was make a great stop. She has protection behind her. She can impose herself physically because of her frame and whatnot. And to be honest, it was a, probably her best position or the one she should have been the most. But then for, for reasons I'll never know exactly why, what happened, the specifics of it. But next thing you know, we need a goalkeeper. I'll never ever forget this, Eric. You said one time, you said, yeah, just line them all up in goalie, and the one that gets closest to the crossbar, stick them in there and just make it happen. Sure enough, that was Becky. And uh, all of a sudden, we stopped messing with goalkeeper. And then, uh, A.V., you worked with her. I don't know how, how how many hours and hours and hours during the summer you would work with her in, in goalkeeping. And then in head in the ball was the other thing, because she was going to be one of those, you know, uh, dual player type. And then heading and heading and heading, which you guys spent hours and hours at this. And uh, and sure enough, she had to play in goal for me. Um, and and to be honest, we did quite well. But at that point, we kept saying, listen, Burroughs, there's no more positions left. We went from the forward <laughs> line, went to midfield line, went to the back That's line. That's why I became a coach. That's why I became a coach. Yeah. So now it gets you nice, well-rounded for, for the coach inside of it. So Hey, I, I just want to share one little-known story about Joe. This is really little known story. Joe was also my tennis coach in college. <laughs> and um, let me just tell you, this was Joe's strategy. He would be like, he would, like, and we had real tennis players on our team too, not just people like me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so he would round us all up and he'd be like, look, we're going to serve and volley, serve and volley. None of this baseline bullshit. I want to eat by six. <laughs> yes. That is quality coaching. Well, they're back there in the baseline. Whack, whack, whack. You're like, goodness gracious, we'll never be done with this. So yeah. get to yeah. the net quickly and be done. Either way, be done. Yeah. That is, that is quality coaching. A good coach eliminates all the bullshit and gets right to the heart of the matter. Right? And obviously, that's what, that's what P did. He did. Yeah, no, I, actually, uh, uh, a story I always have to say because, like uh, Evie was saying, uh, I knew I knew what we learned with Hank. So then, when I became passionate about the, the sport and and what we were doing, and that's all I knew. I knew what Hank did with us, and this is what I try to big time uh, duplicate as much as possible. But then came this curveball called women. <laughs> And then I had absolutely no, 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 no idea of the women thing. And, and all of a sudden, the college asked me to start the program. And, and I'm like, well, as long as you don't treat me like a second class citizen, because then back then it was really, it had a, a, a stigma. And as long as you don't treat me like a second class citizen, I will I'll give it my best shot. I think it was two or three games into it. I already made a couple cry and this wasn't going so well, right? And then uh, the, the story goes that three games, I was, um, I don't want to make the story too long, but anyway, I was on uh, uh, coaching the men at the time, as well as the women. And uh, they would see me coach the men. I would be all full of it, just all kinds of of, uh, of uh, piss and vinegar type stuff, you know, just at it pretty hard. 
then I would coach the women. I'd be much more subdued. And they approached me and said, um, we, we, we would like to have that guy as our coach. The guy who was coaching the, the men. They said, but, but you guys can't handle it. I already made a couple of you cry. This is not. And he said, no, no, no. That's what we want. I got news for you, buddy. That next very game, halftime, I went ballistic. I did. I, I pulled a major, major uh, hank on him at halftime. And honestly speaking, this is my first year coaching. Two games into into my coaching, when I did for thirty years, I I never coach women again. I coach soccer. What happened to me, women? I never treated them any different, except a soccer player. So yes, I was demanding, and yes, I was hard. But I right then and I never coach uh, women's soccer. I coach soccer to be women. I don't think Joe ever, I can't recall Joe ever making me cry, like from yelling at me because he yelled at me so often. I felt like I got immunity. Um, but I do recall um, one weekend when we played two games that we, I think we won by a combined score of 17 to nothing. And at this point I was playing in the back and Joe told me that I had a really difficult weekend and that I had struggled. And I'm like, Dude, we won like 17 nothing in the two games, and I'm a defender. <laughs> it was it was UNC Asheville and Warren Wilson. And we, we played UNC Asheville and in Asheville and then drove to Warren, to Warren Wilson play them an hour later. And we we're so <laughs> we're so outmatched. I mean, we we're outmatching them. There was like no, nah. and then that becomes more difficult because like Hank, I also took that on. We're not we're not here to embarrass people. We're ambassadors of the sport. We need to grow the sport, and we cannot just go hammer these people. We got to play. Got to make this thing look. It was more difficult to play when you have a hand, a game in hand, so in hand, because now you got to somehow keep the ball moving, play, you know, a possession type thing, and disguise it to where you're not embarrassing anyone, but you're not running up the score, which made it very difficult. But then it made me really. Uh, and then maybe that's where that came from. But I was always guarded of the sport and not to embarrass, uh, to make the sport grow. So, yeah, that was no question. That was, I remember that really well, <laughs> vividly, actually. Uh, Joe was also my um, my work-study supervisor. And our job was to take care of all the athletic fields. That's a good deal. I had a few small good. mishaps, but besides that, I have I have some skill there now. <laughs> You, know, I, yeah, you don't have to do that in Florida, do you? Um, well, I, you know, it's funny that you say that because one day I went out to our field and I'm like, um, you know, we got a mole cricket issue out here. And the field guy was like, um, you know, kind of like stay in your lane. Right. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay, there's mole crickets. So, so then the next day I actually got two mole crickets and I brought them into him. I'm like, these are mole crickets right here. And ever since that, nobody really second-guessed me when I gave suggestions about the field anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Another great story uh, about Becky was um, I got to know her parents really, really well, and, and they really liked me for whatever reason. They did. I don't know why. Well, and they were like, and then I get special treatment whenever I was down that neck of the woods. I'd have to stop in for food and the whole works. And uh, so they were big fans. Until uh, I think it was the end of her sophomore year, she was a, a, a biology major, pre-med major, and all about the 
the medicine side, pre-med type track. Great student, always been a great student, not just in the classroom, but even in, in the sport. Becky's always been a great student. And then, um, and then um, so the, she, it's now time for her to tell her parents that she's probably changing her, uh, what she wants to do. She really would like to go into coaching. <laughs> From pre-med to coaching, right? And the parents could not believe that she was giving up this pre-med track as far as studying in college to she was really into this coaching bug. And she got into it big time, which is great. Obviously, that's why she's, she is where she is now because she early on her passion for it, she just get just big time enjoyed it, get after it, and uh, couldn't get enough. And through the whole process of it, she just uh, from uh, and right away as soon as she had once she got the bug, I immediately got more and more involved with her in terms of state program. So she was help, she was my assistant at state program. Then we went to uh, regional camps. Regional camps meant contacts and people of that nature. So she got into that whole uh, atmosphere and making contacts and networking with those those people, which again, we're just feeding this this sponge. Oh, sorry to, to, to pull a pun on you with a sponge thing, but she was a sponge about it. And uh, sure enough, when it came time to graduate, these opportunities popped up like, whoa, 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 whoa. The first was uh, graduate school down at uh, TCU with Dave Rubinson. That never happened and buried and UF and then here we are. I mean, yeah. 33 years later, here we are celebrating her uh, her journey, which is which is outstanding. It's awesome. So proud of you. Great stuff. I couldn't have done it without you, Joe. Well, no, it's it, sometimes uh, you know you know yourself now, especially after you've done all this coaching and you've dealt with all the uh, the personnel that come with with uh, with uh, coaching uh, and group dynamics. It's um it's 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 full of joy and it's full of uh, work, but for the most part, it's. It makes it what it makes it special. I think I, I had a lot more fun than being a doctor. Definitely had a lot more fun. I want to remind people that um, Evie, you'll like this. I think um, that Joe moved on from Methodist to Old Dominion University in uh, Virginia, um, yeah. Division One school, just like Becky. So my question to either one of you is. Who made the first call to get the game to play against each other? <laughs> I think I did because we needed games desperately because we had no schedule. Well, I have to say, I have, would have to tell you though, I don't, I don't like playing against people that I have a lot of respect for. I don't. It's not for me. Like it's not that I enjoy playing against people I don't respect. That sounds terrible. It's just more like when you get that personal relationship involved in it, it's really hard for me to um, separate that in the game time. I mean, you really can't because you've got to coach your team and you've got to do your thing. But um, I, I've always just enjoyed competition for the sake of competition. But I think when you start to mix in like somebody like Joe, who, you know, I kind of revere, I think that got really challenging for me. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Obviously, um, you know, you've and we'll get into this a little bit later. The SEC coaches where you have to play, but then the ACC is obviously right in your doorstep as well. Um, and uh, well, one of the things I would say, I, I really do I, I, I want to hear about the relationship with you know, you have you know, I think we all know Robbie Church, he's been on our program. Um, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about the Robbie Church because that's the one that seems the most when we talk with you about the ACC and 
how difficult and and why did you want to play Robbie? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think I love the competition side of it and, you know, whether it was Joe's teams, Robbie's teams, like you knew you were always going to get a great game, but I think, um, I think that for me, like I look at the competition um, with our opponents instead of against our opponents. And to be honest with you, I think that's one of the things that's really missing that's starting to become missing in the college game is that, I don't know, collegiality of um, like respecting the game and being able to not take it personally, no matter what the result comes out and, and, and having like a good feeling about going into the game and knowing that that person's going to compete as hard as they can, and you're going to compete as hard as you can. But in the end, no one's taking it personally. Like we're not hating each other because somebody won and somebody lost. And I think that that whole concept is going away because of the pressure that people have on them about results. You know, it, it sounded as, 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 you know, wonderful that, that you just stated that, that almost is like Robbie Church's philosophy. You know, what, what you just said, like, Hey, we got to play, but at the end of the day, it's just a game, you know, and Evie right. talk about that, you know, we're not saving lives, building bridges, things like that. It's a game is competitive, but then, you know, we're friends. And I think, you know, like in the case with Robbie, cause you guys are good friends. That's what developed. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I don't know if any of you guys have watched Ted Lasso. Do you know what that is? It's a Apple TV show. And if you haven't watched it, every podcast listener, you need to start watching Ted Lasso. It's on Apple TV. But one of the things they talk about in there is um, this woman is talking to this player. He's an English Premier League player. And he's complaining about his situation in the club because basically he's not starting anymore. He's gotten a little older and he's been usurped by a younger player. And the woman is talking to him and she's like, oh, let me feel really, really sorry for you. You're getting paid a lot of money to play a game, you know? And, and, um, and I think sometimes we forget that, like we forget that it is a game. And I think. Yeah, but, but Burles, Burles, you evolved immensely on that because you used to be a pissy loser. Well, that was because you taught me, Joe. Well, fair enough. It was one of those deals where, I mean, you know, you got to take it personally for a bit. I mean, we could uh, we could shake hands and do all the all the the right things, but at the end, you know, it, it was you you in particular. She hates losing anything. I do hate to lose. What it was, so uh, she's evolved more to where she's probably a great deal more professional or, or graceful with it. But for, uh, early on, she was that's what made that's what that's one of the traits that separated her from the rest. She's so competitive. So that meant she got, she had to get after it. Even whatever limitations she had, she would make the most of what she had and with that competitive element about it. So tremendous worker, so competitive. It's, it's qualities that you really like to have in just about anybody on, uh, and, and her coaching initially was all that. And then she had a great team right off the gate. She had four tops, she had one back, she had, she had players. She probably had a team that she never was able to recreate Early on in her career, which was like, and she took the the college game, University of Florida to the college game, like crazy, right off right off the bat. And sure enough, they won four years later or whatever it was, three years later. Once she got going, how quickly she went to to being a champion type stuff. But it was a incredible program right off the gate. I mean, we she was a part of my region staff. She coached me on the 16th, and uh, my goodness, we probably had seven or eight 
of the of that region team down there playing for her. You add full top to the mix. You add one back to the mix. You got yourself a heck of a group. And well, then, uh, again, that comes all back to Joe, though, because if Joe hadn't, you know, gotten me involved with all of that ODP, I would never have had those connections with those players. So, I mean, I think I think that you got to like think to all the connections that happen, whether by intention or by chance that create the opportunities that you get. Joe, what do you remember about the phone calls? You know, Becky, before you got on, said, you know, she called you a lot when she was at Barry. Certainly, you know, at Florida, she called you a lot. What do you remember about uh, some of those phone calls? And do you remember anyone, you know, where you would really get, you felt like you really got into her um, when it was undeserving? Well, I, I think that the, the cause will be uh, the beauty of calls is to be provocative. It's not to be point fingers or wrong, right. It's just to provoke and to, uh, and what happens is me calling her, her calling me is to, to create some kind of a, uh, a learning situation where, where you could uh, grow from it. So uh, games or philosophies or attacking us certain situations or even situations that are off the field of what to do and how to handle that type stuff and being true to self and making sure you don't sell your souls to the devil and, and consistency and being consistent in things that, that uh, a program requires. I mean, you, when you deal with 25 to 30 uh, individuals, there's all kinds of group dynamics going on that require all kinds of stuff. You are pushing buttons left, right, and center, try to hit the right buttons with, with certain people. And Becky's situation was always, the, the, the one of the one of the traits I admire immensely about her, she always took the challenge. The kid that was most of us would have not gone there. But if there was a kid, obviously serious upside, but had all kinds of baggage, had all kinds of uh, stuff that these people would say, you know, keep your hands. She would take on that challenge, and she could always she always felt like she could have an impact on that individual to be very, very productive. So a lot of those conversations were challenging kids how to deal with it and, and, you know, and as long as in the kid, eventually they all, they all have a button. You just have to find it. And then, so what you do is she was willing to take all the extra time and the patience required to eventually work with this kid to the point this kid became pretty productive, pretty successful in, in all phases of it. So yeah, a lot of it, I mean, we, we don't have magic answers. So we sometimes lean on each other just to, to throw ideas off and, and, and grow. And that becomes yeah. conversation. Did you, did she ever ask about, you know, or get into the recruiting part of it with you? And the reason I bring that up is she's at Florida with a quote unquote unlimited budget. You're at Old Dominion with not the same. Okay. And were you, were, yeah, obviously totally two different, you know, uh, programs, but my point is, were you almost like, come on, you, you know, you should be able to get anyone. Well, I mean, it's it's the, the uh, and obviously uh, early on we went down to play. Um, my first game I played against it was down there, hot as all can be, of course, with way off out of our elements, and we're getting hammered, probably five zero. But a zero, a zero meant donuts for the whole. That's the whole right. Game. So if That's you got it, you shut out. If you were shut out. Everybody got donuts in the stands. Two thousand people watching the game. <laughs> they all got freaking free donuts, right? 
So then you got you get hammered from the stands. You get hammered on the field. You're like, holy cow! We just we we walked into some alligator swamp and we were just ambushed. And this was like, uh, it was hot. We had no answers, absolutely no answers except just take a lick and, and take a lick and then move on. But it was that. Uh, it was the first. Then she came up to us. It was just as bad up here. Still had one back. Still have the uh, uh, Danielle. I think Teresa was crying in the stands. That's how. Uh, uh, that's how uh, the kind of a whooping they gave us then. But they they were really, really, really solid everywhere, everywhere in goal. I mean, there was not a weak link on that and that and those in those early teams of hers. Well, let me tell you something uh, full circle about that goalkeeper on that team. So that was Meredith Flaherty, who yeah. was the goalkeeper in the national championship team. And um, so you know. In my retirement, my plan is to teach at the University of Florida in the sports management department, and I've been assigned a TA. And you guess who that TA is? Meredith Flaherty. <laughs> so it's been pretty cool because she's kind of helping me put our classes together, and uh, we've been putting a lot of work in together. So full circle. There we go. Was was she the Becky? Was she the goalkeeper that when when you beat Carolina? Yes. Yes. It yeah, she was a transfer from Clemson. Yeah. Huge factor in that game. Yes, she was a huge factor yeah. in that game yeah. because she, she, stuffed, she stuffed somebody at, uh, I can't remember who it was, um, but she came out, sold out to make a save, um, made the save, uh, knocked the girl down, maybe knocked her out of the game. Um, but it was also one of the, it was also that, you know, like when you're playing and you know, you know, there's, there's certain times that, that, a, that a save will win a game for you. And there's certain times that, you know, uh, it's, it's, you see it more in, um, you know, certain times not to give up a goal, right. You know, if, if you give up a goal at a certain time in a game, all of a sudden it turns into two or three, right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mary came out there and it was big time goalkeeping. It was big time goalkeeping. And um, I, I remember that. Yes. She, she, she had an edge. She had that presence. She had that, that, that it factor that says, man, back here, you have to earn it. You have to earn it because I am not giving yeah. anything. Like, yeah. She had yeah. it factor that's so, so massive. Oh my God. Now we have Robbie Church. Speaking of, speaking of legends, it's legends night at three old goalies. The surprise Becky night. That's what it is. Roberto. Are you with us there, Churchy? He looks like he's moving towards the light. <laughs> slowly, slowly. Church, you there? He's Bobby Church. He's, yes, that... yes. Oh, uh, there he is. Oh, he's walking. I'm moving. We're walking, walking, I'm walking. Moving. I was in a dark place. I was in the base. <laughs> I was in the basement of my house. So that it's never good to be in the basement of your house over there. This is like Region Three reunited. <laughs> oh, it is like Region Three, or maybe it's almost like Woody Gibson United over here. Oh no, yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, let's go to that. Yeah, <laughs> look at Joseph. What? Let's, go to High Point. Let's go to High Point and visit those uh, those days. Oh, hold on, I'm out of this place too. Dude, are you all right? Not good. Oh, doing great. <laughs> get, Bobby, get do you, Bobby, you own this house, or are you getting thrown out of your own house? 
No, yeah, I'm only one here. Linda's left me. She's gone to the beach. Oh, okay. Well, can't blame her Are for that. Lost or something? Why you keep walking? I'm. Hold on. Hold on. We got to turn this thing off. <laughs> Go find his dog, right, Evie? Night, Night watchman. Night watchman. Okay. Joseph, how are you? Good, sir. Good, sir. Good. Good. Just, just living this crazy time. Yes, you're right about that. You're right about that. So, Robbie, we were just discussing the Duke soccer camp for girls where there are no losers, just non-winners. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's take a minute here and make sure everyone knows who's on here. We have Robbie Church from Duke, uh, the women's head coach. He has been on our podcast before. Uh, if you have not listened to it, it is one of the funniest ones we have ever done. Uh, welcome back, Robbie. Thank you so much for uh, taking time tonight to uh, show up and share some stories about your uh, experience with uh, Becky as far as the rival. You know, we had just started talking about that, how she doesn't like to play her friends. I know. Uh, I know. We are, and we always play. What does that leave me? I know. Well, you know, I still have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time they made us do it because it was the NCAA tournament. That's right. That's and right. It, and it wasn't one we had to, we scheduled there to do. So That's right. Which, by the way, Robbie has quite the edge, just so you know. <laughs> uh, we are aware I, of that. We I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I okay. can, Robbie. Remember, remember, I can. So, Robbie, I'm curious about the non-conference game. Who made that first phone call? Did you want to play her? Did you? She want to play you? How did all that materialize? Because it went on a few times, not just you know once. Right. Um, yeah, well, you know, even before that, we used to play a ton of times in the spring. That was that was the the biggest games of spring. You know, Becky would load up. She'd call me, try to get hold of Anson, could never get hold of Anson, never get a call back. I'm like, come on, Robbie, you're in charge. I know. I was like, Becky, don't worry about it. I'll take charge of this. Okay. (laughs) I'll have your games. We'll play one day here and one day at our place, one day at their place or wait, man. I'll get back to you. But load the bus, order the bus. Let's go get it up the road. And uh, we'll we'll make sure this thing happened. And we did that for many, many, many springs. Until the last spring, with it, she came and she played on our ice hockey rink. It was uh, ridiculous. It was, it, it was older than St. Louis in 1993. It was. The only thing it was missing was a Boston Bruins B in the middle of the rink. Hey, put your hand on the heart and say that. <laughs> I, I do. I got it. I think none of our cleats penetrated the ice wall that was the ground. That was it. I mean, we had this thing going for 10 years in a row, and it was done after that. She was like, no. I am out of here. You know what happened? That same – okay, we played you on the ice sheet, and then we played Anson on the yeah. old oh, turf, yeah. Yeah. the yeah. old turf that is worse than my garage floor. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so back-to-back, we had two wonderful games. Yeah, and all of a sudden I looked up, and next year I called and said, Becky, when are you coming back? She says, I'm out of here. I'm going to Clemson. I'm going to go. I may play Wake Forest, but I'm not playing you two clowns okay. anymore. So let, me ha- let me tell you what happened with that. So we do that. We did do that the next year. We go to play Clemson at this showcase, okay? Yeah. We go back to our hotel. It's freezing again. I don't know what it is with these spring games. Yeah. It is raining and cold. And um, the temperature has probably dropped 20 degrees. We're going back to our hotel, which has caught on fire. 
So we cannot, we cannot return to our hotel. So um, we can, and, and like the power grid has gone out in the entire area because of this fire. Yeah. So um, they, they send us to another hotel to eat our dinner, but we don't have any clothes that we can change into. Oh, yeah. So we, we drive the bus to Old Navy. Um, the <laughs> thing we can buy is pajamas. So we buy our team. Everybody gets new pajamas. So we're eating dinner in this, not our hotel, in these new pajamas from Old Navy. And a, a soccer coach walks by and the next day I see her at the field and she's like, what the hell? She's like, does Florida get matching pajamas on road trips too? <laughs> exactly. It's that big. It's that big. Well, the reason all this thing happened is because you in Florida with all the good weather, you started practicing like uh, January the 5th and you had to end your season by March the 10th. And so you're like, okay, I can only come in February. And it, you know, it's cold and frozen in North Carolina at the end of February. So clearly, clearly. You gave us this window that, you know, some years were pretty good. We worked through it. We were okay. But then the Boston Bruins rink called us, and that was the end of uh, of uh, our springtime. I, I've always enjoyed being at Duke. That's, I feel like Duke is like my my second home. The Duke soccer camps where, where I honed my coaching skills and my pizza eating and beer drinking. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to add on to that. I was, yeah. If you didn't add on to that, I was going to add on to that for you. I think uh, uh, the hideaway spent many nights in the hideaway. Yes. You know, I, I you guys will all appreciate it. I walk by the hideaway every time I go over the bridge where the hideaway used to be on the right-hand side. You know, I just looked down there and speaking of putting your hand over your heart, that's yeah. something you do when you go by the hideaway. You just kind of, you just smile. I mean, just a smile comes to your face because of the <laughs> memories that were down at the hideaway too. Yeah. yeah. So Rob, what do you remember about the games? Uh, again, not the NCAA tournament, but the, the regular season games where, you know, it, there's a lot of stake because both of you have very, very good programs. Um, and I don't think it's a recruiting war so much, but it's more, Hey, I got you this year or you got her, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we never, re we never win recruiting wars against Duke ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I, I think for me, we're very fortunate. We stepped out a lot of those games in NCAA tournament, and we were like, "We won. We we're we're still playing. We're still advancing." <laughs> it was like a little bit. Of, how did that happen a couple times? Um, you know. So I, I think for us, uh, we were very fortunate in a, in a lot of those, and we just we just found the goal that was. Uh, was they were really, always really, really good games. They were. They were always really good, really attacking games, really open games. Good for the, you know, we had a lot of a lot of people say that was a great game. Fans enjoyed it. Um, and you know, for us a lot in the NCAA tournament, we were very, very fortunate. But I will say probably the most unusual one was the one that, you know, that you guys came down that you didn't host. You didn't host, you know, the Oh, that's right. You didn't host because we had one at Colorado College, and I was jumping on a and I was in the Denver airport, and the team was coming back, and I was heading down to Phoenix recruiting for one day. So they were the Phoenix tournament was happening. So I was I was at the airport. I think we had spoken earlier in the day, uh, in the evening about it, and then and then you guys, 
And then who was it? South Florida or Central Florida? One of them got upset, right? Yeah, we chose not to host. It was yes. uh, a very unusual situation because we were playing at the time on a pretty small field, yeah. and um, it did not it did not help our style of play to play on this small field. So we chose not to host, and um, I took a little heat for that one from my administration. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that. But but it, in the long run, it kind of led down the road to a new place, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's uh, that's where it was started to head down yes. that road. So. I, I, I totally forgot about that. Good point. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm in the airport and they call us back and says, we're hosting. I was like, what the hell? How'd, how'd that happen? You know, I, I think uh, my favorite memory of um, Robbie is really not on the soccer field. It's it's dancing in a bar in Conyers, Georgia to a live country band. <laughs> <laughs> and almost getting killed. Almost yes. With that killed. Killed. He still says killed. Yeah. With that guy tapped me on the shoulder and said, boy. He said, he said son, you better sit down before you get killed. <laughs> I think yeah. Robbie was air guitaring to a live country band. <laughs> I'm curious, did you two ever go after the same recruit? Of course we did. And I told you, we never did won. Not never won. won. Oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, Eric, I have a question for you that has to do with Robbie. Okay. <laughs> you know, I do recall often you had um, hockey sticks in the back of your Wagoneer. Yeah. And well, I think I, I recall, I think I recall, I think I recall Robbie, um, you know, using the soccer ball as a puck across like a four lane highway one time. Yeah. Yeah. And we won. <laughs> Becky, yeah, you, Becky, remember I'm still after, coaching. That was, that was, okay, remember these stories. <laughs> I'm still coaching, and I still <laughs> want to coach a, a few more years. Okay, <laughs> remember as you go forward with these stories. Um, you, can, you can blame I, all that on me, Churchy. That was all my. That was, I had, that was all his fault. If I hadn't had the Wagoneer with the hockey sticks in it, we never would have done that. We'd have done something else. So yeah. you know, that that was my fault. And you so can, who so. While we're talking old stories, who um, did you guys did you recruit against each other for Abby Wambach and and um, no, I think it came down to us in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And Anson did did not offer her a full scholarship, which he regrets to this day. Sure. Yeah, he sure does. Robbie, did you did you beat them when when Abby was playing? No, we were Vanderbilt. Don't you remember? We were, <laughs> we well, no, were I, Vanderbilt I, together. I, I, you were sitting right beside me on the bench. You know, that is why I left Vanderbilt because you were sitting right beside me on the bench and you don't remember. The, do you not remember the game that we hosted in the SEC tournament and Abby scored three goals with her head inside the six yard box oh, yeah, on yeah, your goalkeeper? Yeah. And of course, after three goals went in, it was on your goalkeeper. Okay. Yeah. You know, it and wasn't would, mine I mean, at that point. Was, it became your goalkeeper when those three go right, right, Becky. You remember that I, night? I do. I do remember that. My, yeah. Hey, let's say the winning only began at Duke because there was no winning at Vanderbilt. I <laughs> uh, will say that. Yeah. No, and and in eleven and a half years of coaching at Vanderbilt, we never beat Florida, right? But my Vanderbilt, my Vanderbilt story was. I had never seen, I had no idea who Wambach was. I only cared about goalkeepers. I these field players. What are you talking about? So I'm talking to the, to, to the, 
to the defenders. Vanderbilt. I'm like, okay, you know, we got a game here. We got to play Florida. It's Becky. And come on, we got to beat guys. So Christ mighty, we haven't beat them yet. And it's all you guys, right? And I look, and I've got them all like around me. And I look over the shoulders, and here comes Abby Wambach. And I said, you know what? Never mind. We're going to get killed. And I went down <laughs> in, <laughs> in church and said, and I was like, in 90 minutes, we'll get beers and we'll be out of here and it'll be a good day. <laughs> He did. I mean, I would have this great motivation story and have them all ready to play and bother go, oh, we're not winning this game. There's no way. Look, look at this team over here. There's just no way. Suffer 90 minutes and then we get out of here. I see, like, this is what Joe taught me. Like, you know, when I was at Methodist and we would be playing North Carolina in the middle of their, you know, 25 years of winning national championships. Yeah. And it would be the night before and I'd be going into all my teammates' rooms in the dorms. I'm like, we're going to shock the world. It's going to be in Soccer America tomorrow. Methodist takes down North Carolina. <laughs> and then we'd play and we'd lose like 7 nothing. <laughs> and I'd be like, next time we play them, we're going to shock the world. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, did you ever use that as your motivating speech in 1998 when you won the NCAA? No, no. That, that speech was not even mine. It was we were we were – winning because we scored a free kick in the first five minutes and then um it, we were in the second half trying to hang on and um i told our team i'm like look if we can get to that tv timeout we're gonna win this game but the freaking ball wasn't going out of bounds so finally it does and it's maybe like 17 minutes left in the game and i'm thinking this could be a seminal moment in my coaching career i really need to think of what should i say <laughs> And um, this might be the earmuffs part for you people that are, have small kids. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm thinking I got to come up with something big here. And it's only like two minutes TV timeout. So um, all the players are coming in and, and, you know, they're like, they're like fired up. And they're like, we got this, we got this. And I'm like, all right, you guys gather up. And then Abby goes, we're not fucking losing to these bitches. And I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Hey, there you go. <laughs> so, so much. Sometimes I think the best speech is one you never give. Yeah. Or, or in our case, I, I let Carla give the speech. So yeah. That, that there is the speech right there for Carla. That's that's it right there. So I let her give the speech at that point. Well, Maybe one of Joe's one of Joe's famous speeches was um, we were we were killing a team and we ended up going into overtime because we gave up an own goal. And um, Joe's like, all right, all right, we're starting with a sling plate. <laughs> I'll just like, <laughs> and we're trying not to laugh because we know he's pissed, but uh, we ended up winning four to one in overtime because it wasn't golden goal at that point. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I was going to say, Becky, what is it like, or what was it like back then trying to schedule games? You mentioned you know, you, you, you called JP just because you needed games. What was it like, you know, in, in the late nineties, you know, and early two thousands, you know, Robbie started coaching at Duke in 2001. Um, but it was still sort of exploding. Was it yeah. easy games or was uh, it? Well, it was harder in the sense that you didn't have like a full slate of conference games at that point. So you were pretty much scheduling almost all of your schedule. Um, but that also gave you a freedom because you could play, you know, whomever your school would allow you to afford to play in Florida, you know, was pretty progressive with that. So we were fortunate enough to be able to travel a good bit and 
play good teams. And we just tried to be as aggressive as we could with the schedule. Yeah, I think the, the philosophy there, Greg, is uh, it's not trying to get into the NCAA. She is the NCAAs year in, year out. She's trying to win the NCAA. So to prepare the team to win the NCAAs, you got to go up against the best, put them, put them in a very demanding environment, challenge schedules, which meant if it meant traveling to West Coast and play the top teams there or come up to the ACC and play play the top teams, usually in Carolina. Uh, type stuff. It, she had to do what she had to do to prepare her team to win the national championship. She was not interested in getting the NCAA. She was already year in, year out there all the time. She was trying to prepare to win the national championship. So, yeah. And she had the resources to do it, which is... Yeah, uh, definitely had the support. Yeah. I, I was going to ask Robbie and, 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 and Becky the same question here. Um, back not so long ago, you were playing a lot of um, you know Friday-Sunday games. Um, and both of you would jaunt across the country to play these games early in the season um, against some very, very good competition. Share with us some of the quote-unquote scheduling fun or logistics in getting to some of these places and what happened. Oh, my God. The stories (laughs) we could tell. (laughs) I mean, you know, you have not lived until you've had like a 12-hour travel day. And I mean, it, it's just insane. You know, you think about like a lot of teams charter now and, you know, occasionally, but um, you charter, it is like heaven. It is like, I just feel like I'm sitting there and like angels are playing harps, <laughs> you know, because when you travel commercially or buses, I mean, shoot, when I was on Joe's team, I mean, we bust everywhere and Joe was the worst. He would never let us stop for anything. Um, and you know, you're traveling in vans. I think I sat like in the clothes basket that held our uniforms in between the two driver seats because there was not enough room for everybody. Um, and then I thought I upgraded when I went to Florida and, you know, here we are, like, I remember the very first road trip we ever took, Vic and I looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, it's two to a room here. (laughs) Cause we were used to like, (laughs) we just couldn't, we couldn't get over the fact that it was only two to a room. (laughs) You thought you and Vic were gonna have to room together again. You were like, finally, I'm not having a room with Vic on this thing. <laughs> I mean, it was it was just a different world. But you still, I mean, my goodness, like we traveled to uh, Oklahoma State a couple years ago, and it might be the worst trip we've ever taken. I mean, at one point, it, our bus decided to go around a train thing. You know, like the thing that comes down when a train is coming. Like, first of all, you don't even do that in a car. Like, so he does that because he doesn't think there's any train coming because it's like, it's just taking forever. Well, then we get stuck. Like, we can see the hotel and we have been traveling for 11 hours and we're freaking stuck on the train tracks with this stupid. (laughs) I mean, it's just like one thing after another. Traveling is its own whole chapter. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Robbie, you, you want to add any stories to that? Yeah, no, I will. I will verify the charter thing. That was the greatest thing about making the NCAA tournament up until this year. We had never chartered except for the NCAA tournament, and the only time at Duke we came charters when they threatened the, when they threatened that we can't get back till Wednesday and we're gonna miss three days of classes. So somehow, somehow we end up finding a pot of money to get us back on a charter plane when all of a sudden it says we're gonna miss three days of classes 
we we end up charting and we have to raise it. But so this year, obviously, in the crazy year, we all our teams are Duke, 27 sports. Oh, you can either do you can either do one or two ways of travel. You can either bus wherever that is, and our softball team just bus to LSU from Durham, or you can charter. You can charter. That's the only you cannot go commercial this year during the COVID season. So we get our ACC schedule. Of course, we have a game in Boston College and Syracuse on a weekend, and we have a game at Florida State and Miami the very next weekend. Oh, so, so we we obviously went out and we didn't bust. We we did find uh, a couple people that helped us a lot, but uh, and you know, and I kept saying, "I'll travel this year, ladies. Do not get used to this. This is <laughs> not happening." Again, when that bus pulls right up to the plane and you get out and, you know, you walk and the bus is waiting for you and you get out and walk about 20 steps with it, too. But I guess our, you know, for the commercial flight is, you know, we thought we got smart. We thought, OK, we're going to schedule every first flight out. OK, so if everything always leaves in the morning and doesn't give a chance for a breakdown and it doesn't, you know, so that will save us from those 12 hour, 12 hour days. But, you know, we did we did have one where we were playing Boston College and we ended up having to split our whole team into four different flights. We were running through the airport. We had our trainer took four players down here and they flew in. I took four players, went through Minneapolis to get to Boston. Uh, but my group was good because we found P.F. Chang's in Minneapolis at the airport. And the, the girls that like to eat, they always go with me because they knew that I was going to find good food. And Amani Dorsey, who's now playing and one of the best players, she was like, I'm going with Robbie. He's going to eat well. And we found P.F. Chang's and the credit card came flying out during that time. So, but we all got there. I think some of us got there at like 10. Some of us got there at latest at, at one in the morning. And it's uh, so it's, it's not easy to fly 30 some people together and equipment and all get to the same place at, at the same time. I will not miss that part. I will yeah, not. I, I bet. Hey, I have I have one. It's um, oh, well, actually my very first flight. <laughs> Becky, is a, Becky is on a team. Oh God! We made the NCAAs, and we have to fly to San Diego to play UCS, UCSD and um, uh, campus. Uh, playing St. Mary's at UCSD, which is one of the weird, weird deals. We're flying to San Diego, so NCAAs. This is this is determined on the weekend. So by Tuesday, I have the tickets in hand. Right, the NCAA sends the tickets to to Fayetteville, North Carolina, but the itinerary in the ticket was from Fayetteville, Arkansas. Oh. We never we never picked up on this. So we we load up the van, we go to the airport. We got we got the vice president uh, uh, escort us there. We have everybody there. We show up at the airport. First NCA trip. This is probably uh, 86 barrels, 87. And I go to the counter, ticket counter, and they look at me like, what are you doing? We, we don't have a plane here. I says, what do you mean you don't have a plane? I have the tickets right here that says we're supposed to be a flying out of here to, to San Diego. And then she starts checking. Obviously, she doesn't have a plane. She starts looking at the itinerary and says, they they put the itinerary from Fayetteville, Arkansas, <laughs> not Fayetteville, North Carolina. And a little addendum to that story. So we all turn around, go back to school. <laughs> and so I had like a test that afternoon, which I had not studied for, clearly. <laughs> and Joe's like, we're all going to class. We're all going to class. And I'm like, 
<laughs> but somehow the NCAA got on it and it fixed that situation and we uh, obviously made it all the way out there to play and got it done but oh boy I was like holy cow my very first flight what a disaster it was I'll, I'll stick to the vans I'll stick to the vans and buses after that wasn't it just yeah really well we're not, we didn't do buses we did vans vans yeah. was great uh, great 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 times to be honest with you no you got you get on the bus. Everybody's looking forward. Nobody communicates. Nobody talks to each other. They got headphones now. They got cell phones now. I mean, it's like bus and vans. You had no choice. You had you to had talk no to each other, especially back then. You know, Robbie. You know, you touched a little bit on the uh, what what happened here uh, with with COVID. Um, Becky and Robbie, go into what was it like. Um, as you, you know, I talked to both of you before the season on some of the preparation you were doing and everything was, you were always overwhelmed. Uh, everything was changing every second. Um, you, you got to a point, you really didn't want to make a plan because you knew five minutes later, you're going to have to revise it. So we'll, we'll start with Becky share, you know, the challenges that you had to go through, um, and, and really some maybe credit you know, how you got through it. Well, I think we're all seeing that now, aren't we? With like all the basketball games that are canceled. I think our basketball team is on their third canceled game in a row tonight. Um, and it's just tough to watch because it's like, you know, we've been through it now and I, I feel so much more prepared this semester to deal with those challenges than I did last semester. Cause last semester it was just like one thing after another, there was no such thing as a plan in the fall, zero. I mean, we were, we were rolling right along in preseason. And then the, like the week before our first game, we have 19 players out, you know? And so it was just like one thing after another, you know, I get quarantined with one of our players who tests positive um, because of an exposure, you know, we are, we're having a meeting in my office and, and, you know, all of a sudden the next day I'm out for two weeks where I can't even go to campus. So I'm watching practice on Speedio and trying to coach my team from Speedio. Like that's like, what are we doing? Uh, so it was it was a it was a great lesson in uh, flexibility. Let's just put it that way. Sure. For well sure. Said. <laughs> you know, you know, for us, it started we it started early. It was just it was just a matter of you know you're we're all coaches. We're all used. To, we're all creatures of habit. You know, we do things, we want things, especially preseason. We expect things to kind of fall like they always have in preseason. And for us, we had four different schedules during the month from the middle of July till the beginning of, of August. We had four different schedules sent to us by the ACC. And just as we start to get ready to go, here comes another schedule and here comes another schedule. And, and finally, middle of August, we're in, we're in preseason and here comes, you know, another schedule. And in the end of August, and we're supposed to be at Wake Forest in five days and we get the final schedule, it comes. So it was always that never really knowing, you know, and, and always the fear of, especially early. I mean, this is early now, you know, you had your testing and how many kids are, you know, are you going to get a phone call? And when your testing guy calls and his number pops up on your phone, you're like, I mean, you're just freaking out at that point. You're like, oh my God, who's going to be, who's going to be gone? You know? And well, when you talk to them and they don't take anybody and you're just, you know, oh, thanks Bob. I appreciate it. Now, you know, anything you want, we'll, we'll be fine. And it went all season. I remember the last regular season game with, with Miami. We're two hours from the game. 
I'm in the lobby and, and, and talking to alumni parents that dropped in to say hello. And we're talking. And Sarah Barnes called me. Her name appears on my phone two hours before the last regular season game. And I broke, broke out in this, this sweat thinking, oh, my God, the game's called off. The game's called off at all. You know, there's going to be no game now, you know, and, and, and it was just something very silly that she had to say that, you know, with one of their coaches, they moved a coach around. Chris Petroselli's son got the coach that day, that day. So that was a, a, a highlight for him. But that's kind of how it was all year. You were just on pins and needles. You didn't know, you know, you were hoping you were going to have practice that afternoon. You had enough players to have practice. You were hoping you were going to have a game. Uh, that was scheduled, but you really never knew that it was going to go off until finally the game ended. And I guess, okay, now that, that actually happened. And that was a good thing. So, yeah, share both of you, <clears throat> as you, as you know, cause I've tried to, you know, I send both of you, you know, players, um, the recruiting aspect, um, obviously division one, the no contact period is still in effect till April 15th. Um, you know, when I talk to, you know, your colleagues, you're all tired of watching video. Um, and there's just so many, so much video that you can watch because that's all you're doing. Um, and you really want to be able to watch a game to see some of the intangibles that you can't see on the film. Um, talk a little bit about what it's been like trying to recruit um, and what's been, you feel, um, some what I would say highlights in the recruiting to get some of the players to uh, commit to you guys. I, I feel bad for the, the kids in the recruiting cycle. I mean, particularly the 21s who were not committed at the time of all this happening because they really got stuck kind of in a tough situation. Um, but at the same time, um, the 22s for me have been a difficult group because the 21s that we have signed are coming and they have a guarantee. The 22s that I've recruited and are committed now are dealing with the prospect of a new coach who may or may not honor the commitments that we've made with them. Um, and this, these two years have also had a lot of changes. You know, there was the DA dissolving, the age group change. Like there's just been so many changes for this particular group, which I think has been challenging. But I will say, for me at least, one of the silver linings of recruiting in this year was I feel like the length of time it's taken to go through the recruiting process has been really beneficial in terms of getting to know the kids that you're recruiting much, much better. And that's been kind of fun. Like, I feel like there's been like this no pressure on the soccer part of it and more pressure on the getting to know the person and their family and what's really important to them. And in some ways, I think that's going to be a huge factor for this class being like really happy with their decisions in the end because they had a lot longer to make the decision. Yeah. And before, Robbie, you answer that, you know, that sort of sort of goes up of when I'm helping kids in the process. I stress, you know, if you broke your leg, would you want to still be at that school? Meaning you're not going there for the coach. And this sort of goes what you're saying, Becky, about you know, these recruits know you're leaving, but they still want to be a Gator. Um, and, and go into a little bit more about that, because that's pretty deep that they, you know, want to play at a high level, but they also want to play for you, but they know they're not going to be able to. Well, I just tell them like, you know, okay, I understand. Yes. The, the coaching staff has a large impact on a soccer player's life, no doubt. But 
the 99% of Florida that's not the coaching staff isn't changing. You know, we have a great support staff, an academic advisor, a trainer, a strength and conditioning coach, um, the University of Florida as an academic institution and as a fun college town, like none of that's changed. And so um, I think it is, it does say something really positive about UF that these kids who have committed still want to go despite not knowing who the next coach might be at this point. Yeah. All right, Robbie, what, what, what's your take on some of this? Well, I would echo what Becky said first about the class of 21 and class of 22. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been really tough for those kids. It's been tough for their families. It's been tough for those kids. You know, you get a lot of people that have reached out and, and you know, they've worked so hard to get to this point and they all dream of playing college soccer. And then all of a sudden when it's their turn per se of, to join the recruiting process, Nobody's there. Nobody's at the field. Nobody's watching them. You know, nobody, and you know, they're, they're looking for their dream colleges and, you know, they're not there. And so hopefully, uh, you know, soon, sooner than later, uh, we can get out there. And I, I get it. We all have to be safe. We have to be our campuses. We have to protect our campuses. So that part for us, you know, in particular at Duke, we were probably in a different place and it just happened to work out obviously we don't have a crystal ball we didn't see this coming but we had made a lot of commitments early so we we had chosen to especially we had our class of of 21 already set for a number of years and so and it was a, it's a smaller class with four players coming in and we knew so we had that set but we had right before the uh deadline changed where you couldn't talk to players we had spent a lot of time recruiting and talking to, to players, you know, do you want to commit early before things change? Or do you want to, you know, wait till you become a junior and, and do the process of that? And and so we went through that stage. We made that decision with class of 2020. So we ended up finding players that said, hey, you know, we respected whatever they said, uh, the, but we, we found players that we really liked and recruited early. Um, so we ended up with six commitments, verbal commitments, obviously, um, you know, before things change. So ours hasn't really changed that much. We haven't been on, you know, I have looked through um, the video and I've seen them play and we're just checking up on the kids. Um, but I, I also agree hundred percent with Becky is uh, it's been an unbelievable experience to be able to talk to those kids and really go deep into those, uh, deep dive in with those kids and know, learn about their families, learn about you know what really is important to them, what are they looking at. So I feel like we really know those the, this class of 21. Um, the other thing we found that, again, obviously with my techno technology background, uh, Zoom is new, but we are Zooming with our classes too. And they have loved that. It's been great. So not only have they got to know the whole staff, okay, um, because some of our staff, you know, with Carla, Carla not being on the road, they haven't learned our whole staff, and but they've learned each other. They know the players in their class. They know those players, you know, love better too. That's been, that's been a real, I think that's been a positive in the recruiting, in the recruiting process here. Those hey, kids, uh Coming in, and Rob, Rob, Robbie and Becky. Um, I'm just curious. Do you think? Do you think it will be a new normal into the recruiting after this? As far as do's and don'ts, particularly with showcasing things of that nature, you think there'll be changes uh, that will be for the good in terms of this whole COVID thing that we could maybe benefit from? Yeah, for sure. Be changes. 
besides? I think there'll be, I think schools will spend less money on recruiting in person. And I think that virtual recruiting to an extent, not completely, but to an extent will become a lot more acceptable. So more restrictions in terms of going out uh, from the NCAA type. Yeah. I just think that, I mean, when you can see like football and basketball are recruiting entire classes on virtual recruiting and they're not spending, I mean, the the kind of money that those programs drop on recruiting is pretty significant. And the fact that they could do it without having to spend that money, that's got to have some ramifications and that's only going to trickle down to us. The budget's not going away. This thing has affected everybody's budget and this is not, you know, something that, we all get a shot with our budget, and all of a sudden, our budget goes back to normal. People's budgets aren't going back to normal. So this, will, this thing's going to impact you, Greg. Right? That will impact the youth, the club, the youth stuff. That will impact that immensely. No. Yeah, for sure, no question. But I yeah. think the important thing is we got to get some better video in some of these tournaments. If you've <laughs> ever, if you've ever sat there and tried to oh. watch, watch the video, and all of a sudden, you know, the ball is coming to the person you wanted to see, and all of a sudden. <laughs> It goes, the video goes crazy, and you're like, oh, my God. I'm, I'm well, I've, seen, I've watched some tournaments where the players are like little tiny ants that you can't see the numbers, and then some that are like as big as Joe's head is in this picture right now, <laughs> and that's the only thing you can see. <laughs> let me let me ask both of you, uh, you know, you, you gave what I consider the positive about the recruiting, um, and you got to know people and their families and the, the players, but – both of you have had transfers a lot who are in, you know, from the portal. So that's almost like the opposite. You don't really get to know them. You got to make some quick decisions because I don't want to say you're on the clock, but everyone in the country is looking at that same player. Uh, so, so go into a little, you know, share, you know, some of the, uh, the, the, the thoughts when you're in the portal, looking at players. Well, I, I heard today that, um, I don't know if it's Alabama football, so I won't quote directly that it is, but um, one of the football teams in the country has now a um, portal specialist. That's, that's a position now. So so basically they just man the portal and make decisions based on, you know, that type of recruiting. And clearly the, the transfer situation has been made a lot easier. And honestly, uh, in some ways, I'm really in favor of that. Like it was really difficult to transfer in the past, and that was unfair to the players. Um, I think that at this point, you know, a, a kid that's in the transfer portal at least has options. It it still makes it interesting if like schools are going to start recruiting their entire classes on port on transfer portal kids, but in the end. You know, one of the positives of that is it's a player that is at the point of playing immediately. So you know what you're getting, which hopefully means we back up this recruiting to two years ahead to closer to like when we used to recruit seniors, because that's the advantage of the portal is that you have a finished product. Whereas with us, when we're recruiting, you know, two years out, like that's super challenging. Robbie, what would you like to add to that? I think, you know, you could just go back to the example of a conversation with a person on the portal and a conversation on the recruiting to a re- to a young recruit. Oh, my gosh. It's night and day. And, you know, some, sometimes you're like, 
thank God I'm talking to you. Thank goodness I'm talking to somebody on the portal right there because of the conversation, the in-depth soccer conversation, the conversation that you can have, you can have with them too. Um, again, we don't spend a lot of time at Duke on the portal. I mean, it's just some, you know, again, with our academic profile sometimes. But, and, and I think what's negative, though, Greg, in this whole situation and where we are at, is for, for us, I, we have to really know the person before we take that, you know, and, and you haven't been able to get, to, I mean, when a person comes to Duke and visit, and it's somebody we're obviously very interested in, I mean, I'm spending six hours with them the whole time. I mean, I am spending, I am taking them all over the place because this is the best opportunity that I have the chance to get to know them, get to know their parents, get to know and making sure that it's a, it's a good fit. And, and Lord knows anybody spends six hours with me and does come to Duke. I'm not sure why after, after all that, I think I've run off more people for, for that, for six hours. They're just attracted to the accent, Robbie. That's it. It's a, it's a <laughs> Southern draw that, that, that reels them in. But but we, we really lost that, Greg. I've lost that. I've lost the ability to go on the field and, you know, all of us go to the field and we watch players. But, you know, it's not always the soccer. It's, you know, how do they interact with their teammates? How do they interact if, if uh, this coach is screaming at them on the, you know, from the sidelines? What, how are they interacting with, with the coach, you know? How are they interacting? The referee makes a bad call or makes a call what they're doing with the referee. You know, what's, what's happening with that kid? Is mom and dad carrying their bag off the field? You know, after the game, there's so many little things that we have lost, you know, and just just not watching the video and you see the, the play, but just the other things that I, I think are really, really important uh, in this recruiting process. And so we've lost all of those all of those things. Yeah. Well, let, let's get back to Becky. You know, Becky, everyone wants to know, you know, you're retiring, of course. Why and why now? Um, and of course, you know, you alluded to what you're going to do in the future, um, a little bit, and maybe go into that a little bit deeper, uh, for our listeners. Well, I think the, um, the why and why now, I mean, I do think it's, it was definitely not a COVID related decision, but I do think that COVID kind of puts things in perspective for everyone. It shows you what's important in your life. And, you know, I'm no different in that. And I feel like, there's some flexibility in being a soccer coach. And then there's some serious rigidity in terms of the time that you have and the things you can do. And I'm no spring chicken, Greg, you know, I want to do some stuff that uh, doesn't, it was not going to be able to happen if I was going to stay in this coaching rhythm. So I'm excited to sort of get out of that rhythm a little bit and um, have a little more freedom to do things and yet still be able to stay in the coaching world. So, you know, my, passion projects on the side has been what drives winning and it's about you know coaching development and player development and to be able to take that and put it into like a master's degree program I think add some you know research legitimacy to what we're doing as well as you know it, hopefully it's something that stays forever way beyond me so um, I think it's just an exciting way to take it to a different level. You know as you get deeper into the classroom what uh, are you looking to get from the gratification standpoint? Well, what I'm really hoping is like what drives winning becomes like almost like a vocational class for coaches. So I don't want it to be like a research-based class. I want it to be more like hands-on, like this is practical. If you really want to become a better coach, like here's some ideas. And it's not even just for coaches, any kind of leader of anybody. Um, but 
I mean, I think, I think in the end, I, I, this sort of brings this whole thing full circle for me. You know, you guys started talking about playing for Hank and growing the game and how Joe carried that on with me. And I mean, I think I feel a big obligation to that too. And in large part because of you guys and the legacy that you all have placed in me to do that. So I'm hoping in some small way that this can carry that on. Whew, that is pretty deep. Uh, <laughs> whew, I'm trying to absorb all that. What, uh, as far as when do you actually see yourself starting to get in the classroom? I mean, do you see it? This, It'll be this, in the fall, this, fall. this August. Yep. It's fall. Okay. Yep. So I'll right. coach through May um, or whenever they hire the new coach, you know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So I'm happy to stick around until they don't need me anymore. And then, um, start teaching in August and teach a couple classes. I think I got three in the fall, three in the spring, and then in the summers, get out of the Gainesville heat and be in Colorado. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Cause you know, you're going to be living in two places um, in case people didn't know that. Obviously you just mentioned, you know, you're going to be in Gainesville for some part of the year, but then you're going to go to uh, what part of Colorado and why? Probably in Colorado Springs. Um, Celia has uh, some really great friends that are now friends of mine. Um, uh, she's a retired two-star general that bought property as a cadet when she was at the Air Force Academy. Um, and so we're really close friends with them. There's actually, surprisingly, um, more Gator soccer alums in Colorado, especially like the Denver area, probably than any area besides Florida. So I've got quite a few contacts out there hang out with some old gators at some gator gatherings. Um, and so, and it's just, I think the big thing is just trying to have a little bit of change of scenery. You know, Florida's great, like today being 80 degrees, but in, in the summer when it's 95 and hundred percent humidity, not everyone's clamoring to come to Gainesville. <laughs> Do you see yourself picking up more speaking engagements or reducing that as you get into the uh, classroom? Um, I mean, I think, I think being like hands-on with coaches, I, I think the, the exciting part about the master's degree program is like influencing like the next generation of coaches. But I think there's, there is a big need, like, you know, I was really lucky. Like I said this before too, like I had Joe that I could call. I had Brett Simon as the men's coach. I had my athletic director who coached, but not everybody has those kind of resources. And so to have more intentional resources of people that you can call and sort of talk situations through before you make big mistakes. I mean, I, I just got lucky, but I think, I think coaches need a coach. I mean, I was lucky that I had coaches that were coaches for me, but um, you know, putting that in place for other people would be something that I could really see myself getting into. Yeah. It's, it, it almost sounds like you want to be an ambassador you know, as long and, as the ambassador it, has a real job, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know uh, Steve Spurrier is the ambassador of Florida, and I'm really not quite sure what he does. <laughs> plays a lot so of. I ball. don't want to be that ambassador. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm gonna Evie. I'm gonna send it back to uh, headquarters here because I know you want to ask her a few more things, and you know, we, we obviously want to let you know Robbie and Joe uh, have uh, some of their last words uh, with Becky before she goes. Yeah, you got okay, three well, minutes. That's it, people. Okay, well, I will uh, turn it over to I will turn it over to Joe Pereira to uh, to give his closing statement on Becky Burley and actually anything else he wants to say. No, it's it's really really simple. I did it. I did thirty three years, and when it became a job, it was time to move on. Someone else was starting to do it to do it. Um, 
part of the journey. And then uh, right now I'm trying to enjoy my uh, my uh, sunset years as best as I can. And for, and for sure, I'm hoping that Becky is doing the same in this process, which is she's she's done. She's done this coaching side of it. It's been a magnificent ride in this journey. Now she's got some other stuff to do. All the best in it. Be true to self. Get it done. You I just I mean? want to be made clear that both Joe and I coached for 33 years, but I'm a lot younger than him. <laughs> Clearly <laughs> noted. I've been retired for six years now. I'm already in this uh, this road. I just this got my vaccine yesterday, so I'm good to go. I'm one. Look, Need one more. This is it. I'm gone. I'm out of here. Yeah. It's not the sunset. I feel like it's like four o'clock in the afternoon. This yeah. is not the sunset. It's, hey, it depends. Uh, four o'clock is sunset somewhere. <laughs> in Colorado, you probably be uh, sunset. It is. Uh, Rodney, what would you like to add? Your, you like yeah, to your, your closing Becky Burley statements. Well, before I say that, I would like to say that I've done a number of podcasts and they've all been great. But this is the first podcast that the host has been in the hotel room that I've done with the host in the hotel room here. So I just, you know, I'm glad that I could break ground and have a podcast where our host is broadcasting, is broadcasting on the road from the hotel room too. So thank you. Dedication. It is dedication. Wherever he goes, he carries his, his microphone yeah, with him too. So I had I had to interview special people and everybody had spring schedules and so we had to get get that taken care of and that's one of the advantages of being a goalie coach is you really have to worry about much <laughs> yeah. but going back the most important thing is going back to becky and just you know the the incredible job that she's done and the person that she is and she's been you know she's done incredible things with women's games there's no question she's been such a great ambassador to the game she's been such a great mentor to to so many young ladies out there and just has just has done it with nothing but class and a smile on her face and makes everybody smile makes everybody comes in contact with Becky they she just makes everybody feel better about themselves they feel happy they have fun they laugh boy did we laugh and have a lot of fun a lot of fun in a lot of different places to, together and you know I think one of the reasons I'm in the women's game is from North Carolina ODP for two, you know, three of these people that are on this podcast. And that is, that is Joe. That is Joe, a big part of that. There's no question. I was in the men's game and it was not nearly as fun as the women's game over there and spending those weekends with you guys and Woody and, and things too. And that was like, okay, I had an opportunity to go there. It was because of people like this, but because of people like Becky and, just the influence. She's going to be missed. I, I I do hope with your busy schedule, you can find some way to stay in the game. We need you still there. We need you as an ambassador and some role in that game. So that's going to be my job to find out what role that is and, and to get you. I'm thinking that I can DJ the coaches parties at the um, recruiting events. <laughs> I'm all for that. I'm all for it. I'm ready for one of those at recruiting events. Listen, listen, Robbie, she was the DJ for both of my daughter's weddings. I know she, I know. She's got some experience. I can uh, vouch for her on that. And that's from, she's quite good. No, I know, I know, I know. Well, what, what's your What's your name, by the way, bro? Um, this, is a, this is a mixed audience, Joe. We keep that off the air. <laughs> <laughs> Dixie, 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 yeah. Dixie. I think it is Dixie. We keep this off the air, Joe. Come on, some things are not meant to be said. <laughs> he's uh, 
DJ, Dixie, whatever. I... <laughs> so anyway, Eric, <laughs> it's been <laughs> a pleasure. Let's move on okay. quickly. <laughs> okay, well, I was, I was, what was it, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> He's in the sunset of his years. He can't no, remember. No, yeah. <laughs> Truth is right here, so relax. He will remember. <laughs> Uh, what do you want to say, Evie? It's always fun as a coach. And I'm sure Becky has seen this as, as well now that she's coached for many years. It's always fun as a coach to see people that you've helped along the way become successful. And um, I think everybody on this, everybody on this Zoom tonight has, has helped each other along the way. But, you know, to see somebody like like Becky, who, as Robbie said, you know, is, has been great for the women's game, um, you know, is is special, and it's it's special for it's special for guys who who played with JP, you know, because it's kind of like the third generation of Hank, and um, you know, so that that I think that's I think that's great, and and um, you know, we wish her all the best. I think, you know, I'm. I'm sorry she retired as early as she did, but I'm glad that she did. So uh, we wish you all the best, and we're, you know, we'd like to thank you for finally coming on the three O goalies. And um, you know, it took uh, me I'm retiring sure our, to do it. <laughs> I'm sure that our listenership will jump exponentially, and uh, we'll we'll crank it all the way up there, sixteen hundred. So, <laughs> so thank thank you for your time, or thank you for your time, thank you for your service to the game. Um, Thank you to uh, JP and me for joining us. And um, until next time, or until we see you down the road, all the best to everybody. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you guys. Bye.